Today on the Scott Thompson Show on AM 900 CHML. The Canadian Pediatric Society says it has released recommendations on how much time the kids should spend looking at various screens. Introduction to screens too early, they say, can be tied to a higher risk of obesity as well as focus and attention issues. To talk more about all of this, Theo Sellis is with us, registered family therapist, president of Integrity Works. He is with us now. Hello, Theo. How are you today? I'm doing well, Scott, and I should be up front with you to let you know that I'm speaking with you on my flip phone. Really? <laughs> flip phone? That's right. Do you have to use two hands to hold that? or? I'm managing with one. <laughs> Good for you. All right. Uh, is, is, is this any different, Theo, than what we were going through as kids because we were watching too much TV? I think it's, it's similar, isn't it? Uh, but it, other, well, certainly the arguments sound the same. Yeah, the arguments sound the same. The difference is that the TVs were too heavy to carry around in our pockets, or we'd really have to hold them up with two hands to our ears and our face to watch them, and we're wandering around. Yeah. The difference is, is that they are everywhere all the time, no matter where kids go. They are an ever-present part of them. It's almost like they've grown another attachment so they're sort of an added to their body in a way. So what can we learn from the old TV days that we can apply here, or can we? Well, you know, all the stuff about how much exposure to TV and links to obesity and lack of, you know, physical activity and social skills, all those arguments certainly apply. I think the interesting thing that we're looking at now in terms of the research is the impact at a very early age of that ongoing exposure to these devices and the possible impact that it has to even early neurological development, that constant barrage of stimulation, the constant release of uh, of uh, dopamine, you know, that pleasure chemical that, that, uh, that seems to be far more addictive than uh, we used to experience with the TV. And I think that's one of the things that we're going to have to deal with. I think, I think that's the next wave of addiction. I think addiction to devices, addiction to gaming, uh, that is the next biggest addiction problem. Uh, what is it that addicts kids to something like this? What, what is it that it's impossible for them to give this up or put it down? Yeah, so I think there's a physiological release, the dopamine experience where they are receiving this barrage of stimulation and they're getting these instant rewards. You know, they you know, play games, uh, they connect, they, they, you know, get these different points, they move to different levels, they're immediately getting, you know, different images, rapid barrages of images and that sort of that stimulates those chemicals in the brain, so that's a physiological addiction. And then there's the psychological addiction of feeling like they have to be part of something that everyone else is and feeling neglected and feeling like they're not part of the bigger picture. You know, if they're, they're not online and, and uh, getting connected with other people who are liking their pictures and if they don't have enough friends and they don't have enough shares, whatever, they're somehow feeling left out. So there's that psychological addiction of feeling like that's what's required for them in order to feel part of the larger sort of social picture. Uh, it seemed when all of this started out, uh, it was more about games before social media sites were as prevalent as they are now. It was all about games and gamers and spending too much time shooting up this or doing that or what have you. Is this more about social media now? Rather than games, it's about likes? Yeah, no, I think it's a combination of both. You know, some uh, people, especially boys, boys are sort of you know, really focused on gaming. Uh, there's a, <laughs> I've been hearing more and more about something called, and this is a terrible thing, but called the uh, loser generation, which is this this uh, set of young boys who are just kind of lost to this online gaming thing. That that's 
you know, that's where they're at and then they can't get free of that. Uh, and, you know, there's certainly that sort of social network issue, social networking that um, maybe more girls than boys are, are connected with that, uh, again, they just feel like they need to be, you know, connected to the latest thing, the latest news, the latest, latest share, the latest like, whatever. We know what this takes away from them, but what do they get out of it? What, what, what's, what's the gratification? What, what keeps them going back? Well, you know, uh, there's, that, there's that thing. It's like a, an addiction. That's the, kind of the nature of addiction is, a, is you know, when people ask me, like, how do I know when I'm addicted? And people used to ask that question just around things like drinking or other drugs. Uh, but the answer was, like, it's not necessarily, you know, how much you do it, it's the amount of choice that you can exercise around it and how much of a part of your life it becomes to be and how dependent you become on it and how much you need to have that. And so um, what brings people back, again, is that combination of that physiological and psychological addiction. But again, it's the sense that uh, this is now part of who they are. Like it's part of daily life. The first thing you do when you wake up is you check to see what you have missed or what's going on. And that's why uh, you have to have it at nighttime beside you when you go to bed. And throughout the day, you have to carry this thing around with you all day long. You can't leave it behind you. So it's the sense that it becomes part of your life, a central part of your life that you can't seem to really do without. So is it as much chemical as it is habitual? Yeah, there's for sure there's the uh, chemical responses, the, the, the neurological rewards, the neurotransmitter rewards that people really, of course, become chemically addicted to, but it's also the habit. We've, we, we are very sort of habitual kind of people, and we've, we get into this kind of a groove, a life groove. We'll continue to do this over and over again. And, and if we don't, uh, we start, you know, kind of feeling anxious and kind of, you know, edgy kind of thing about what it is that we we're used to have, that we used to crave. And it's hard, you know, it's hard to compete with that on a, on a sort of a, a regular life scale. Like if, if I think about the amount of time I spend competing with students for attention in class, where even in university where I have very strict rules around devices in my classroom. What are those rules, Theo? My, the rules are essentially that you can't be on them unless I say that you can be on them for a particular research activity or a kind of a learning activity that I've got. So you can't be on because you're learning things about, say, you know, suicide prevention. You're learning about proper communication and listening skills. You know, you're learning about different health and um, mental health issues that people have. You're learning how to connect with people. You're learning some really serious things that you need to be paying attention to so that when you are in those situations, you know what to do. So there's really good rules um, in terms of, like, uh, what kind of information you might miss out on, plus uh, just basic for your own education. More and more studies are showing that kids are being distracted by these devices and their impact and their ability to learn. We hear, so, we, we hear so many stories, Theo, of teachers not being able to do what you've just done. We hear so many stories about it's got to the point where it's uncontrollable, that they can't control it anymore. Right. Right. So, so how do you manage to, you know, even with university kids yeah. uh, who are more independent, how do you, how do you manage to, to to get them to do that? Yeah. So, well, uh, you know, that's uh, that's the thing, right? So that's the flip side of engaging. So I really, you know, I put a lot of effort into my conversations with my students. I've got interesting conversations that I have and, and really interesting activities and get them connected with each other and practice different things. So it's not as like a boring standing in front of the class and like I don't believe in lecturing people, yeah. I believe in conversations kind of thing. So there is 
have to put a lot of effort in terms of being entertaining, you know, put on a pink flamingo costume, whatever it is. Hmm. Like, I do crazy things to kind of get people's attention, but you have to work harder and harder to get it. But even then, you know, I see the kids, they just struggle with that. Like, they struggle with putting that away. They just, you know, they're fighting with that. And, you know, like, even just a few hours at a time, it's just really hard for them. And the moment there's a break in class, right? You know, like there's a 15-minute break or something like this. Boom, they're right on it. And it's yeah. really interesting is that, there's very little conversation between them during breaks. I remember going to school and there'd be breaks or, you know, whatever you want around and talk with people. But it's dead silent during the breaks. Oh, man. Yeah. I, you know, Theo, I, I, we had, uh, I think I might have told you this. My daughter plays hockey. The team came over for an end-of-year banquet. Uh, downstairs in the rec room, the, the radio, the stereo's playing. That's all I can hear. You, normally, it would be just a buzz of, of right. kids chattering, of 14-year-olds chattering. But they're all standing in a circle, like 15 or 20 of them. They're all looking at each other with their devices <laughs> out. And, I mean, I could carry on a conversation with any of them. If it was my day, you wouldn't be, you'd be yelling down the stairs, Turn it down! Right. Yeah. And so you kind of have to ask yourself, I think, what kind of social skills aren't being picked up? And, um, you know, this, you know, this craving, we, I think, you know, we've got this new technology, but it hasn't really, you know, we're still social beings. We're still, um, you know, people who want to connect. We want to feel heard. We want to feel seen. We want to feel important. We want to feel loved. We need to connect with people. It's part of who we are as humans. And so we are sort of trying to desperately get that through sort of an illusionary experience. We're not having as much real deep kind of connection with people. We really spend prolonged periods of time listening and getting to know people and trying to understand what it's like for them to feel what they're feeling. It's very, very kind of shallow and little bits of little information. It's very hard to have anything sustained at this point in time. Uh, we're, we're still very early in this technology and in these uh, platforms. Will the pendulum swing back? Will all of a sudden society realize what's going on, or is it too late for that? The genie's out of the bottle and everyone's doing it. Well, you know, I think it's interesting what's happening in education. When, when this first happened, um, you know, people were head over heels, uh, administrators were head over heels in um you know, we've got to integrate this in the classroom. You know, we've got to connect with kids where they're at. We've got to put these devices. We've got to get them online. We've got to do those learning online. And I think, you know, because we, you know, that's where kids are at, as opposed to trying to get kids to where we're at, we have to go down to where the kids are at. Well, I, I think that was kind of kind of foolish. I think trying to, I think it makes more sense for kids to learn how to be at a particular place rather than we go down where they're at because they're kids. We don't necessarily know any better. I think what's happening now is that more and more research is, 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 is showing that, uh, that these devices are actually not really being um, helpful, that they are tending to interfere with with learning that. When, when the devices are going on in the classroom, when kids are being able to use them, they are not really <laughs> spending a lot of time, you know, doing what they're supposed to do on them. They're on Snapchat and Netflix and Instagram and all that kind of stuff. They're like, they're being distracted. And so I think I think there is a growing awareness, and there is much more research now that says... You know what? If you want to, you know what you need to do in order to remember something and learn. Uh, you actually have to write things down. <laughs> don't don't yeah. just use a laptop. Yeah. Like, there's studies showing that the more muscle muscles you use, the more muscle memory you engage, the more aspects of your body that you engage. You know, writing down some notes as opposed to trying to type everything down on even though it's just a laptop. Uh, the more you're actually going to retain, the more you're going to learn. So there's more research coming along. Is it too late? I don't know. You know. I, it's pretty hard. You see a generation that has been raised with these things to be an extension of themselves. It is going to be hard to 
make them of that habit. I mean, I'm a, I have people in therapy, Scott, come to therapy. You know, it's an hour time where they're supposed to be focused on themselves and reflective and listen to other people. I'm now seeing people struggle with not being able to use their devices while they're oh seeing counseling. It's like smoking on an airplane in the old days. Yeah. Well, you know, and we did figure out that that wasn't healthy, and so we pulled back on that. But it just seems like this has become part of our sort of established way of connecting and communicating. Do you find now, though, Theo, that the kids are thinking, or maybe they're not thinking this, but certainly, uh, you know, they, they don't need to retain the information because they have access, it, access to it at their fingertips. Why flood the brain, cramp it with, with all of this knowledge when I can have it at my fingertips any time? I don't need to memorize it. It's a fair point, and I actually talk about that with my students, and I say that education has changed. It used to be about, you know, there would be people who supposedly had knowledge, and you had to sit there, and they were supposed to somehow give that knowledge to you. Well, this, you know, it's about information exchange. You know, they have it, and they give it to you. And now information is at your fingertips, and you can access it uh, at any time. The issue, though, is how do you know what information to use? How do you how do you know how to make sense of it? There's tons and tons of information. What is most relevant? And then what do you do with it? How do you apply it? That's still really important, and especially in this day of you know what constitutes f- uh, fake news. <laughs> you know, there's lots of news, but how do you go about you know being able to determine using critical thinking what's actually uh, relevant, useful, actually informational as opposed to just you know, opinion. What's the difference between an opinion, for instance, and a research-based argument? You know, you still have to learn all this. Can you develop critical thinking in an era like this? Well, it's funny. I just finished uh, with a couple of colleagues uh, completing a study on whether or not we could teach critical thinking. I actually used one of my classes, uh, and I had this idea, and I still have this idea that you can teach critical thinking. So we measured students' understanding of critical thinking in a second-year university course. Uh, what their definitions was were of it, what they understood it to be, and then um, what is also, the definition, Theo? Well, that's that's an interesting question as well. But critical thinking seems to be associated with not taking things at face value, uh, being able to look for alternative explanations, uh, being able to uh, see whether or not the information really does make sense. Can it be applied? Uh, are there other explanations besides the one that you particularly? particularly given, rather than just accepting things, right? Thinking for yourself, but thinking critically, not negatively, but evaluating it um, uh, more carefully. Boy, that's certain, that you have certainly described what's missing in society. Yeah, so well, it turns out that we, you know, at the end of the study, it seemed very encouraging. The students seemed to have a much broader idea of what critical thinking was, and they seemed to have come up with different methods of applying it. But it really took focus. It really takes a type of teaching where you're inviting students to do thinking on their own uh, rather than just having them memorize uh, information that you're somehow trying to impart to them. All right, getting back to the study uh, from the Canadian Pediatric Society, children under two should be getting zero screen time, no screen time at all. How do you think this is going to change things? I mean, I think of those old baby Einstein videos. They used, you know, you'd see you park your kid in front of those, and then the cat would sit around. You know, I mean, you know, to me, I remember, I remember when my kids were young, and putting these things on because they were hot. They've seen it die down now because I think people have realized it's not very good for your kid. But, um, but I, you know, I remember what, the kid watching these. I shouldn't say kid, my lovely daughter or son, and uh, all of a sudden the cat would be sitting next to them. And I remember saying to my wife, "Something isn't right here. If we've got to the point where the cat is mesmerized about this, this." Can't can't be good for our child. Right. Well, unless you want your cat 
and your children to be very similar. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the kid just licks itself and walks around in a circle three times and sits right? down. That's very independent. You might raise really great children. <laughs> that's that right. You can it leave might them alone for a, for a week as opposed to talk. <laughs> it might help. That's right. Just leave their food in a bowl. We're fine. Right. So it could be doing some good things. No, I mean seriously. Uh, you know, the thing about it is, if you think about what two-year-olds are supposed to be doing, right? They're supposed to be getting into stuff. Like they're supposed to be, you know, crawling around and eating dirt and sticking their fingers yeah. into things and babbling and getting a lot of feedback about the different things they're encountering and a lot of like talking, learning language development, learning different language, trying to make sense of things. Like, they're supposed to be experiencing things, right? Like it's such a critical time of brain development and social development to experience as much of the world around you and then find out what happens when you experience the world. Get positive responses, learn what happens when you end up doing something that might be dangerous to you, you get that feedback, but get like a lot of reassurance that you're doing a good thing by being curious and you're just exploring, sensing, you know, tasting, feeling the world. That's what you need to be doing. And think about what think about all of that that gets missed out on if kids just spend all that time staring zombie-like into a screen. But if parents are on screens, is it inevitable that kids are going to be on theirs? Well, yeah, I mean, there's no doubt about that. I there's absolutely no doubt about that. The, the leaders in the household have to be parents. They have to show that, um, that people are more important than technology, that people are more important than things, and that the way to connect with people is to have real face-to-face eye contact uh, communication with them, that uh, that the people that they're with in that room are really significant so that you're not spending the time uh, being distracted by devices when you're with other people in the room. You know, like if that's such a, an important message to send to, to their children, that has to come from the parents. It, it, and I guess we've always tried to teach social social skills to our kids. Um, but I remember even having this discussion when my kids were younger. You know, when somebody approaches you, you know, you're at a family gathering or whatever, and they're talking to you, you have to stop. You have to look at them. You have to look at them in the eyes. You have to show them attention. And I don't know if we're, you know, if we're doing that more so because of the environment we're growing up in or if that's just part of parenting and, and teaching your kid uh, good social skills. But it seems that that's, and where I notice it most is at a checkout somewhere, there just doesn't seem to be interaction anymore. Yeah, I mean, you know, the the you know the standard example is going out to restaurants and seeing what families do around the table. Oh yeah, we've talked you know, right? about that. Like, like we talked about before, right? So yeah, I mean, it's just it's very strange. It's like the need for communication and interaction is still abundantly there, and that's why people are on these devices. And at the same time, they ignore real people around them because real people can't seem to compete with just how fascinating it is to be exposed to this huge world of, you know, instant responses and uh, instant gratification. You know, and that, I mean, that's a big part of, of, of what's happening with kids as well. Is like, uh, delayed gratification is one of the most important things that people learn, like the ability to put time in and wait, anticipate, and not have to get their needs met right away to get that reward right away. Like that teaches all kinds of important social skills, including being able to be sort of controlled and be patient, right, and to mm. invest, wait for some reward down the road. And with the devices, there isn't that. You get that instant gratification right away. You're always something. Get always getting some sort of stimulation, whereas in a real conversation with people, you're not always getting your way, and you're not always having people agree with you, and you're not always getting people to like you, and you have to deal with conflict, and you have to sort of empathize and see where other people are coming from. 
it takes more work to get that sort of social reward, right? Mm. So uh, it makes it harder for people to find the people that they're with as fascinating as the people who they're connecting <laughs> What does that say? Theo Sellis has been with us, registered family therapist, president of Integrity Works, uh, pediat- Canadian Pediatric Association saying no screens for those under two and between two and five, limiting it to one, limiting it to one hour a day. Theo, as always, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Want to hear more? Download the podcast on iTunes or Google Play and listen to The Scott Thompson Show weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML.